Merkel Media. Hey guys, before we get into this week's episode, I want to remind you that we are doing the first annual Dogman slash Cryptid Conference in Paris, Tennessee on August 13th. This is an event brought on by Paranormal Roundtable and the host of the event is going to be Ken Gearhart and the speakers is a crazy lineup. I'll be a speaker there, but I'm like the least of everybody there. We got Josh Turner, of course. We got people like Steve Stockton, Barton Nunley, Jody Cook, Kunbo Baker, D.A. Roberts, Nick Redfern, Ron Murphy. All these great people are going to be there and you can be there too to hang out with us on August 13th in Paris, Tennessee. If you just click the link in the description, description of this episode where you can purchase your ticket. If you want to hang out with me and all these awesome guests, go ahead and get your ticket now because the tickets are limited and they are going fast. So get yours right now. This was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. Well, the giant moves, he's got a spear in one hand and he's running really fast and spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody yells, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blow this head off. I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush and I touched air. Couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster. Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals. I'm your host, Tony Merkel. Thanks for being here. If you have a crazy, wild experience you want to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. That's theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the contact section, and you can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me. Just get a hold of me. If you want to hear more shows on a weekly basis, go to theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the join button and become a member. There you can get your access to all the membership content on the website and the Castos app, which also offers the Tuesday shows ad-free and any overtime segments available. So if you want to get all that content, go to theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the join button, and become a member. Also, go ahead and check out preparewiththeconfessionals.com. I don't got to talk about it a whole lot. You guys see the news. You see what's going on in the world. You see the shelves in the store. Store shelves are bare. You can't buy baby food anywhere, at least the baby formula and soon baby food, I'm sure. The way things are going for friends. You just want to make sure you're good. So whether it's at preparewiththeconfessionals.com or at your local store, scraping the food that's on the shelves and putting it in your cart and just getting what you can, whatever you got to do, make sure you do it now because as the year goes on, they project the food shortages will get more in volume. So go ahead and make sure you are prepared for you and your family. 
Listen, friends, we are doing the Spirits Are In Tour. That's the Spirits Are In Tour. We're going to the Shanley Hotel if you want to get involved in this action. Now, listen, last week I was reading off an old script and I actually said the trip was on April 8th and 9th, I think I said. Well, we're way past that date. I gave you the wrong date. Listen, I got a lot on my plate right now. My head is like short-circuiting sometimes. The actual date for the Shanley Hotel is July 1st through the 2nd of 2022, this year. So this July 1st and 2nd, you can come with me on a tour to the Shanley Hotel. We're going to get on a bus and we're going to have awesome stops on the way up and the way back. All the expenses of food and lodging is included in the price of the ticket. And if you want to get involved and go to Sleepy Hollow, the Shanley Hotel, which the Shanley Hotel is a very haunted hotel, apparently. I didn't know much about it till I started looking into it, but they actually make you sign a waiver before you stay there. And if you want, go to theconfessionalspodcast.com. We have a tab there for the Spirits Are In Tour. And at the very bottom of the page, I posted a video of people doing investigations there. So you can check that out. If you want to be part of the action, you got to contact Creed and Jen. You can email them at travelgrouptours at AOL.com or call them at 973-513-9001. And Creed and Jen are the owners of Educated Wanderer. You can check out the website, educatedwanderer.com. And full disclosure, Creed is my brother-in-law. He's my wife's brother, so he is family, but he does a fantastic job. We already did tours like this before in the past, and people loved it, and I know you guys are going to love it too. So if you want part of this action, Spirits Are In Tour, got to contact Creed and Jen, and in the description of this episode, you can find all that information below right now. Friends, we got a great show coming up here. We have John coming on, and John shares different experiences from the paranormal experiences. He had an experience where he was driving, and he believes he was saved, and what happened was he and the passenger in the car that was with him, they experienced something, but they experienced something that was very different. They had a very unique experience. He talks about working in a haunted warehouse, and he starts us off, though, with this infamous UFO crash site in Kentucky that made its rounds back in the early 2000s, but he has a very close connection because both his mom and dad had more information than even Art Bell had. So let's get to John and his experiences right now. All right, today we got John on the show. John, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Tony. You doing all right? Yeah, man, I'm doing good. Uh, thanks for joining me, man. Uh, you have some, uh, I, I like, it's like a mixed bag, you know? It's like a mixed bag of of, uh, of goodies. Uh, so we have uh, some haunting paranormal stuff with Civil War kind of stuff, uh, the Civil War battlefield, the Gettysburg battlefield. Um, then we, we're going to talk about uh, you falling behind, asleep behind the wheel and what happened there. We're going to talk about uh, a haunted warehouse you worked at, but we're going to start off with the UFO crash site. Now, I, I, from what I understand, the UFO crash site seemed like it happened before you were even born. Is that right? Um, it happened uh, actually about 12 years after I was born, but nobody ever really talked about it much, and I didn't find out about it until I had probably moved away from home and gotten married. So you found out about it after you moved away from home? Yeah, yeah, that and that's that's what really intrigues me about it is like it was it was kept so quiet. All right. Well, uh why don't you take us into it and uh tell us what this whole story is or this legend of a crashed UFO. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh 
And first, before I get started, man, uh, thank you again for having me on the show. Uh, you know, my my brother and I listen to you all the time, and uh, we're just absolute big fans. So thank you for having me. I'm very honored. Um, the UFO crash that I want to talk about, uh, like I said, you know, I didn't find out about it until I had got married and moved away from home, and I had I was actually driving a truck, uh, running a night shift. And I heard some people on coast to coast radio show talking about it. And I thought, wait a minute, you know, they're, they're talking about my hometown here. I've never heard of this. So I started doing a little bit more research and, uh, I talked to my parents about it and my parents were like, Oh yeah, yeah, that happened. And so apparently what happened, uh, this was in 2002 and this happened about three miles from where I live, and, and that's what baffled me even more. Uh, so this it was a coal train, CSX coal train. They were on their way to hey, the depot. Hey, one second. Before you go any further, can you tell us what town and state this is? Yeah, th- this was in Paintsville, Kentucky, uh, Johnson County. Okay, thanks. I just wanted to make sure we got that before you went into the details. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So... Um, there was this coal train, and it was on its way. It had been to a coal mine, and it had picked up a train full of loaded coal cars, and they were headed back to the depot. Uh, I'm assuming to either, you know, swap out train crews or whatever. And so, according to what I heard on Coast to Coast, this train crew, they'd come around the curve, and they saw, you know, kind of around the curve, they saw these bright lights. And this area where this happened, there were a set of double tracks. And so the engineers said, I thought, you know, maybe there was an oncoming train. So I dimmed my light so I wouldn't blind the other train crew when we met them. And he said, we come around this corner and off to our side down in the river, because the river followed the railroad tracks. He said, we see these lights hovering over the river. And he said, initially, I thought, well, there's somebody down there fishing but he said the more that i looked out my window he said i could see these discs they look like you know basically flying saucers sitting on the top of the river and he said there were there were lights and they were bright lights and they were rotating around this disc and he said as we were focusing on that he said we come around the curve and sitting directly in our path was another one of these flying saucers. And he said, immediately I applied the brakes to the train. But he said, you know, I, I had a loaded train, uh, probably a hundred, hundred or coal cars, and he said, that thing wasn't going to stop. And he said, so when we come around that curve and I saw that thing, he said, I hit the brakes. And no sooner than I hit the brakes, he said, we slammed into this flying saucer. And he said, it skipped off of the front of the locomotive and it bounced up over to where the windshield are. It busted all the glass out of the top of the train, and it skipped off of the top, and it slid down the top of that locomotive, and it hit the trailing locomotive as well. And he said, we were just baffled, you know, and had no clue. And he said, we looked out our window, and all of the lights on the, the flying saucers down on the river immediately just took off. And he said they were gone. Everything was gone. 
and he said, even the one that we hit, we have no clue what happened to it, but he said it, it was gone. And he said, uh, as soon as we made contact with this, everything in the locomotive just died. All the electronics, everything, it's like they were just fried. And he said, even my wristwatch quit working. He said, it, it froze in time at that exact moment. And he said, everything on that locomotive was, was dead. And he said, uh, luckily, one of the, I guess, local, I guess one of the conductors on a locomotive, I don't know if he had a, a backup radio or, or something. And he was able to actually call in to the depot with this backup radio. And he, you know, we've made contact with something. We, we don't really know what it is, but nothing on our locomotive is working. Every, both engines are dead. So they said, all right, we'll send somebody out to get you. And based on what I've heard, they sent out two locomotives from the depot and they hooked to this train and they drug it on back into the depot and more or less limped it into the depot. And so that's, that's kind of where that story stopped of what I heard on coast to coast. And so I had talked to my dad and my mom and, and my dad said, Oh yeah, I remember, I remember that happening. He said, I actually saw the locomotive. And I was like, wait a minute, you know, you saw the locomotive that happened to you? He's like, yeah. And I was like, man, I've never, I've never heard this before. And he's like, well, I didn't think nothing about it to be honest with you until you're bringing this up. And, uh, he, my dad worked at a coal loadout where they actually loaded trains. He was on his way into work that morning. And he said, I, I got stopped at the train tracks because this was about three miles from where we live. He had to cross these tracks to get to work. And he said, I got stopped at the train tracks and I, you know, I sat there forever. And he said, finally, this train comes past. And he said, but I see the two locomotives at the front. And he said, you know, usually he said, I just thought, well, they're going slow or whatever. But he said, there wasn't any lights on this locomotive, either one of them. And he said, as the, the front locomotive passes, he said, the front windshields were busted out. He said, the top of it was caved in. And he said, I thought, you know, they've, they hit a tree or something. And he said, but then it kind of hit me. I thought, well, if they'd hit a tree, you know, the other locomotive would still have lights. And there would still be, you know, the engines would still be running, obviously. And he said, these were silent. And there was nothing on them working. And he said, so the you know, train passed. I didn't think nothing about it. I went on at work. And he said, I was talking to one of my friends, you know, later throughout the day as, as another train came through. And he said, I was loading the coal train. And he said, I told one of my friends, he said, now I saw a, just a bashed up locomotive this morning. He said, do you know anything about it? And, and one of the engineers who had brought the train in that my, my dad was loading, he's like, yeah. He said, we got called in this morning to uh, come pick up this train. He said, me and the conductor got called in to pull this train back into the depot. And he said, uh, I, I'm not really sure what happened to it, but he said, when we got back to the depot, he said, it, it looked like something out of unsolved mysteries or something, you know. He said, uh, I've, I've never seen anything like it. He said, there were people running around. He said, there were black SUVs sitting all over the depot. And he said, they come on our train and they told us, get off the train, go into the office, you're going in for a debriefing. And my dad said, what kind of debriefing did you get? And he said, 
I can't talk about it. That's all, that's all I can tell you. And I've probably told you too much at this point. So that was my dad's side of seeing this locomotive. And so my mom chimes in. And she says, well, actually, I can tell you even more than that. And I'm like, holy crap, mom. <laughs> you know, this, this happened and you guys haven't ever said anything about it. She said, well, she said it was just so odd at the time that nobody thought anything about it. But she said, we have a friend who works for the local newspaper. And he also worked for the local radio station as well. And she said he got a phone call early that morning that there had been a collision with a CSX train and that he needed to go down to the depot immediately to see if he could figure out what had happened. So he said, I went down to the depot, and when I pulled in, he said, there were men, and I mean, it sounds cliche, but he said, there were men in black suits, and he said, they were running all over that depot. And he said, I could see these big, they looked like event tents that were set up over what I assumed was the locomotives. And he said, you know, because I could see the coal car sticking out the back. And he said, they, the inside of the tents were all lit up. He said, these men approached my car, and I rolled the window down. And they said, we don't know who you are. We don't know why you're here, but you have no business being here. Please leave. And he said, well, I'm, I'm with the press. Here's my press badge. You know, I, I'm working for the local newspaper. And they said, not today. You don't work for them today. Get out of here. And so he said, I just said, oh, okay. I got you know, turned around. And he said, as I was leaving, he said, I passed probably 10 or 15 blacked out SUVs and vans coming into the train depot. And he said, I just thought, man, something is up. Something is bad wrong. And so he said, I went downtown, got a cup of coffee at a gas station. And he said, I went back in a couple of hours because I thought, whatever this is, it's going to take a little while. And maybe I can get a story for the paper. And he said, I went back in a couple of hours. Tents were gone. Locomotives were gone. All the people were gone. All the SUVs. He said, everything was gone. And everything looked like that nothing had ever happened. And so that's that's where that part of the story ended. And uh, so I'm just curious about it. I, I thought, you know, with, with your podcast, that maybe there's somebody out there that may have some more information than this. Uh, you know, maybe have a little bit more detail about what happened. But I just find it very odd that this happened in my hometown, not three miles from where I grew up at, but I never heard about it until I moved away and was listening to Coast to Coast one night. Yeah, that's strange. It's strange. You live there, you never hear about it until you move away and you find out about it on the radio. You talk to your parents and like, oh yeah, yeah, let me tell you all the stories, you know? like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, mom, dad, you remember when we were really bored sitting at the dinner table all those years? This has been a great story to tell one night, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was like, yeah, y'all just keeping this information bottled up for the, the time that's right, you know? It, it just really baffled me. And especially that my dad was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I saw that train. I, I remember seeing the locomotive. Wow. Uh, so, so yeah. was it that this thing was like, crashing and it ran into or the the train ran into it or was it already on the ground crashed from what i have heard it was it was like it was hovering over the tracks like it almost like it was waiting for the other ones to come join it 
And they said when they come around that curve, it was hovering over the tracks, and they slammed into it. Okay, so I I was thinking maybe it was just my my preconceived notions. I was thinking that this thing was something that was crashing, but it sounds like it was doing whatever it wanted to do. It just got almost like caught off guard and got hit. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, like they just got surprised or something, and and uh, yeah, and the locomotive come right around, just just slammed right into it. Yeah. It's almost like the UFOs. It was like they were the uh, the teenage UFOs, and they were bored one night, and they decided to go play a game of chicken on the railroad tracks. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, uh, it, it's very interesting though, and uh, the fact that there was some kind of, um, I, I guess, I mean, I don't even think you said government, but like, I mean, the blacked out SUVs. It seemed like there was some kind of government entity uh, working on the the situation, you know, cover up wise. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what always baffled me was I thought, you know, here in our small little town, I mean, we're, in in this town, we're, shoot, like an hour and a half from a big city, you know, a couple hours from even a bigger city. So, you know, here we are in this little tiny town, and this happens, and it's like just all of a sudden, you know, they show up out of nowhere, you know, all these government officials and and that's what always made me think was, you know, what what was really going on there? What really happened that, that you know, government officials showed up like that? Yeah, it does make you wonder. Because I mean, it's not like you guys, they, it's not like they had a UFO craft. They just had the train, right? The, the, the craft, because you said the craft, they don't know what happened to it. It was just gone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they just had the locomotive. And, uh, you know, it just makes me wonder, like, was, was there more involved in... You know what the what the conductors and engineers may have said that they saw, uh, or was there something else interconnected that was like, hey, you know, we we kind of got an issue here that, that you know we need to get involved in. It's just it's very odd, very very odd. Well, I mean, it, there's the the fact that the train had lost power, so I mean, there was definitely outside of the physical damage, there was weird things that happened with the train that they could definitely be trying to study and learn about and understand. But uh, then there's also the idea of you know if you hit this craft and uh, if it if it did that damage to the to the the locomotive, then I imagine the craft had some damage at least. Uh, what kind of damage yeah. is that? Did it leave any remnants on the train that the government entities are trying to collect and, and study because it's, you know, uh, some unknown element, Bob Lazar type stuff that got stuck on the train that they want to have adva- take advantage of? I mean, uh, the very first uh, Men in Black story, from what I understand, was back in 1947, I think it is. Uh, I, I'm, I'm actually butchering this. This is part of the documentary that I was uh, a, a narrator on. Um, but it, the, the guy was out in his boat and uh, he, he witnessed a UFO crashing into the water. And when it was crashing, it, it was emitting some kind of substance and uh, it, it landed on his boat. It hit his son and his son's arm was was badly damaged from it. And it apparently had hit his dog as well. And his dog died. And so, you know, wow. yeah, he, he was visited by the men in black after this and all that stuff. But I mean, uh, so, I mean, if you're, if you got a locomotive that hit a UFO, you never know what could have come off that, that they actually wanted, you know, just pieces of whatever came off that UFO. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, very interesting. Yeah. I, I like that. I just, I'm hoping that there's somebody out there that may, 
may have a little bit more, you know, backstory or, or maybe some more information. And I, and I just thought it was worth sharing because, I mean, I'm, I'm 33 and uh, I got married when I was 20. And so I thought, you know, I've, I've lived there for 20 years and never heard this until I moved out and got married. And so I just thought it was worth sharing. You know, I, I thought this, your podcast would be a good platform for sharing that and maybe finding out some more information about it. Yeah, absolutely. I do appreciate you sharing it. It was a very interesting story, even though it was like a secondhand account kind of thing. Uh, it, it definitely was worth sharing. It's very interesting. Uh, but who knows? I mean, if somebody out there listening right now knows what you're talking about, they got more information, feel free to reach out to us and stuff. And I can forward email addresses and all that stuff if you guys want. But uh, yeah, yeah. so John... Let's talk about uh, some some stuff here with the paranormal. Now, uh, from what I understand, this is like the earliest thing that happened to you as far as the paranormal goes. Uh, you had an experience in the Gettysburg Battlefield. Is that right? That's not far from me, actually. Yeah, yeah, that, that's correct. So what happened? Uh, well, let's see. This, this was the first actual paranormal thing that ever happened to me. Um, and I'll start off by saying, uh, I'm a Civil War reenactor, and I, I started doing Civil War reenactments when I was around 12, and I had a bunch of, of good friends and their dad. They all done reenactments, so we would all go to reenactments together and camp together. And So when I was around 15, uh, my buddies and their dads and, and my parents, we had gotten together. We had decided that we were going to do a Civil War reenactment on a, you know, Friday through Saturday. And then on Sunday, we were going to pack up and go straight to Gettysburg. And we were going to stay in Gettysburg for a week. And none of us had, had been. And that was just something that we, you know, thought would be pretty neat to do since we were all history buffs. Um, so my parents, they, they knew the, the dad of my buddies. And they're like, look, you know, we're going to let you go to this Gettysburg trip. Uh, we're, go we're just going to, you know, let the the dads kind of chaperone you, and we've already given permission to basically beat you if you get out of line. But you know, we're gonna let we're gonna let you go on this trip to Gettysburg with your friends. And so, we done the Civil War reenactment, and on Sunday we packed up and we drove to Gettysburg. And uh, you know, we get there and we start doing all the the tourist things. We go to all these museums and. Uh, go to different sites, you know, we, we saw uh, Big Round Top, Little Round Top, went to Devil's Den, uh, Pickett's Charge, we actually walked to Pickett's Charge, and uh, we done all those things, and uh, visited all the shops, and so one night, we're sitting at the hotel, and we see that there's a ghost tour getting ready to start, and so uh, my buddies and I were like, yeah, yeah, let's, let's go on a ghost tour, and so all of the dads of my buddies were like, yeah, yeah, that sounds fun. Let's, let's go do that. So we walked down there and signed up. And we start on this ghost tour. And the lady's walking us around. And, you know, she's telling us, in this building at certain times you can look through the window and, and you can see, you know, a general sitting by the fire doing whatever. And so at one point she takes us out to this field. It's just kind of an empty field that... It's set adjacent to a cemetery, one, one of the bigger cemeteries up there, right off of, uh, I think it's is it Steinware Avenue. Uh, 
I, I, I don't know it that well. I, I know Gettysburg's like two hours from me. That's about all I know. Yeah, I, I think it's off, off of that Steinwinger Avenue, but I know it's adjacent to a very big cemetery. And so she takes us out to this field, and, and she says, now, over in this back corner, uh, a lot of our tour, uh, you know, people on the tour, they, they claim to see an apparition come up over this bank and it moves towards the center of the field like it's looking for something, and then it disappears. So we're all on this tour, and we're looking, you know, and the long story short is we done the entire tour, and we never saw anything. And so we all come back to the hotel, and we're like, oh, man, that's a bust, you know. So the next day, we're sitting around, and evening time comes, and the dads at this point, I think they're kind of wore out of being chaperones. So they're like, listen, kids. You know, you all are 15, 16. One of us was 18 at the time. He's like, uh, the dads are going to go down to a pizza pub and have some pizza. <laughs> and uh, you guys just get to hang out here at the hotel. And he's like, if you need anything, we got a cell phone. You can call us. But we're just going to go eat a pizza. And uh, so we're like, yeah, that's fine. That sounds good. We'll hang out here. Well, I'm sitting in the hotel room, and I'm looking out the window, and I see this line for another ghost tour lining up. And I get this idea in my head. I look over at my buddy. He's sitting there watching TV. And I jump up, and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, ah, nothing, man. I'm going to go take a walk. But I said, first, I'm going to do something. So I went in the bathroom, and I put on my Civil War uniform because I had it with me because we had just come from a Civil War reenactment. And... Uh, I don't know why I thought this was a good idea, but for some reason I thought it was, I guess. Um, so I come out of the bathroom in my Civil War uniform, and my buddy's like, man, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just going to go take a walk. You know, I'm good. I'll be, no, no, don't worry about it. I'll be right back in just a couple minutes. And so I'm watching out the window, and this ghost tour group, they leave. So I sneak out of the hotel, cut over, cut over a couple of blocks, and I end up in this field that we had been through the night before and I, I go back into this corner and I find this big oak tree and I kind of kneel down by this oak tree and, and I'm waiting and sure enough here comes the ghost tour on the other side of the field and I can see their flashlights and I can vaguely hear across the field I can hear the, the tour guide talking well, as they make their way out towards the field I gradually start kind of creeping up the bank. I come out behind this tree. I creep up the bank, and I ease out into the middle of this field. Well, I stand up a little bit, and then I crouch down like I'm looking for something. I'm looking for something in the grass, just like she had told us the night before. Well, about this time, I can hear people in the tour group. I, I can hear people crying. I can hear people screaming. I can hear people laughing, and then I see all these cameras flashing, you know, and and in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah you you done it, man. You give them a good experience. <laughs> and still, I just 15 years old, I don't know what was going through my mind. And uh, so I just kind of turn around and real slowly just kind of make my way back, you know. I go back and back over this bank and kind of, when I say bank, I mean just like a little hill, you know. I go over the bank and get back up behind this oak tree. Well, I'm sitting there and and I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to let this group, once they move on, I'll go back to the hotel room and tell my buddy what I've done. And uh, as I'm sitting by this oak tree, man, I feel on my left shoulder 
a very distinct hand grab me by the shoulder. And when it grabs me, it pins me against this oak tree. And I'm thinking, man, somebody else is out here and they're just kicked off that I'm being stupid. And I look up and there's nobody there. But I'm still pinned to this tree. And I've got this pressure right on my shoulder, right right where your shoulder, I, I guess your collarbone and stuff is at. I've got this pressure. And man, at that point in time, I absolutely just freak out. I jump up and I take off running. And I mean, I don't stop running until I make it back to the hotel room. And forget the tour group, you know, they're still standing over there. I take off flying. I get back to the hotel room. My buddy's still sitting there. He's like, man, what are you doing? But, you know, you're all out of breath. And I was like, yeah, I went out for a jog instead of a walk, you know. And then, <laughs> so, so I go in the bathroom. And I start taking my Civil War uniform off. And I, I take my jacket off. I take my shirt off. Well, when I take my shirt off, I'm looking in the mirror. I have the, the very distinct outline of somebody's handprint on my shoulder. I mean, I'm talking, I can see almost the individual fingers on my shoulder where I had been grabbed by something. And man, when I saw that, man, I just, I got lost it. I was like, oh, oh God, I've, I've dabbled with something I shouldn't have dabbled with. And, uh, I, yeah, I, I got lost it. So I, I come out of the bathroom and my, my friend's still sitting there. He's like, man, what's going on? I'm like, nothing, nothing. Everything's good, man. You know, I'm fine. It's all right. No big deal. So I just go to bed. I don't, I don't even talk to anybody else the rest of the night. And I just still, just absolutely terrified. So the next day, we get up and we kind of go about our day doing different things. That evening, I see the lady who is the tour guide of, of these ghost tours. And I'm feeling bad. You know, I'm thinking, ah, I need to come clean that what they saw was just me being a dumb kid. You know, I'm out, I'm out there just acting stupid. And I, I need to confess that it was me, you know. So I walk over to this lady and I said hi you know how are you guys doing she said oh we're good and I said well did you guys see anything you know great on your tour last night and she said yeah actually we did she said we saw more than we probably thought we were going to and I said oh really and she's like yeah we, we went out to that field over there you know the, the, the one adjacent to the cemetery and she said I was telling the tour group about how there's an apparition that appears and you know like he's looking for something she said, sure enough, she said, I mean, almost as soon as I'm telling the group this, she said, here comes this. She said, it almost looks solid, like an apparition. Comes up over this little bank and out from behind this tree and walks over to the middle field like they're looking for something. And she said, then he turns around and goes back. And she said, I don't know what it was. And, and as, as she's telling me this, I'm thinking, all right, I've got to tell her. i got to tell her it was me. I'm going to tell her it was me. And she says, but. Then we hear somebody running, like they're just absolutely flying, you know, running, running down the blacktop. And she said, about that same time, we see a second apparition come out behind this tree. It moves over towards the middle of the field where the first one went, looks around like it's looking for something, and it disappears into the ground. Wow. And that. Man, when she told me that, I mean, I'm getting 
I'm getting chill bumps thinking about it now. When she told me that, you could have picked my chin up off of the sidewalk. And I said, okay. Just, I just wanted to know. You know, I'm just curious. She told me that. I went back to the room and we done the rest of her thing in Gettysburg and went home. And man, that was, that was the first paranormal experience I'd ever had. And it was absolutely terrifying. And I, I mean, I, I feel to this day when I think about being grabbed by something, you know, and then the fact that after I took off running, that it come out behind the tree and disappeared into the ground. That, yeah. <laughs> That that absolutely just terrifies me to think about it. Yeah, I mean, at least it, it it gives confirmation as to what you experienced. I mean, not that you needed it after you saw uh, yourself when you got back, but uh, you know, did you ever tell her that that was that that you were out there though, or did you just let that go? I just kind of let that go at, at that point. I when she told me that they had saw a second apparition, I thought. I got what was coming to me. I I deserved that, and and I just I was floored that she had told me that, and I my mind just kind of went blank. I mean, here I was standing on a fifteen year old kid, and I was just like, okay, got it, <laughs> I got it, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I should have, but I I was just a fifteen year old kid, and I I don't know, it, it was just too much sensory overload, I guess. Well, I I don't think it really matters. I I I mean, you had you had enough going on at that point, and uh, enough confirmations going on from her. She like, uh, I I don't think it would have done anybody good, anyways. If you would have said, uh, I I was out there, or this, that, and the other, because it, I mean, they they still saw something, you still felt something. Yeah, yeah. So what was what what's the story behind this other battlefield? Um, it is uh, kind of similar in a way. We had went to. Another Civil War reenactment. This was a couple years after the Gettysburg incident. And this time it was on an actual battlefield here in Kentucky. And we had come in and set up our camp Friday night. And everything was fine. Everything was normal. We'd done our battle on Saturday. And going into Saturday night, everybody was talking about how there was just such an odd presence like a heavy, heavy presence. And everybody's like, you know, something's, something's just off. You know, it's, it's like we almost awakened something. There's just an odd presence here. It just the air feels heavy and everybody just kind of in doom and gloom. And so we were just kind of all talking about that. And, and into Saturday night, uh, my buddies and I, we, we sat around and built a campfire. We were talking to uh, just, you know, more or less shooting the bull about the day and what was going on. So we decided, all right, it's, you know, it's time to go to bed. We're all going to crash out. I went to bed. I, I went to my tent, closed the door, and uh, laid down, went to sleep. Well, probably around 2 or 3 o'clock, I wake up, and I can hear, like, mumbling. You know, it's like somebody's having a conversation just out of earshot. And I lay there thought, man, it's got like really cold outside. Now there's it's it's September. It should be this cold at night. And I lay there for a little bit. I kept hearing this, you know, these mumbling voices. So finally, I thought, man, I don't know who this is talking. It 
this early in the morning, but I'm going to tell him to shut up. I'm tired. Yeah. And so I grab a blanket and wrap it around my shoulders and I open up the door to my tent. Well, when I do, I stick my head out and outside there's like a 20 degree difference in temperature. Like it, it's like, it was like walking out of a, like a beer cooler into the super, you know, into a grocery store. Like obviously noticeable difference. And I was like, man, that's, that's kind of odd. It's like I was laying in my bed in my tent. Like I could see my breath. I was like, that's, that's kind of freaky. Well, my buddy in the tent next to me, about the time he sticks his head out, and he's like, dude, who are you talking to? I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I keep hearing conversations. Like, I can't, I can't make out what they're saying, but somebody's talking. Now it's not me. I was like, I heard the same thing, though. And he said, man, I thought it got cold. But, man, it's warm out here. And I said, yeah, yeah something's, something's up. And so me and him, we went out of our tent, and we walked down to the corridor. We had a campfire built, kind of kicked the fire up. We were sitting there just a few minutes talking. And at the very end of this row, when we when we set up tents, we set them all up in a row, like, like the old pictures you see of the Civil War tent set up. And, um, at the very end of this row, on the, on the opposite end of where the fire pit was, one of our friends, he sticks his head out of his tent, and his name's Charlie, and uh, he sticks his head out, and he says, you boys shut up. He's like, I'm trying to sleep. We're like, yeah, yeah, and he's like, you all are just at the end of my tent talking. No, Charlie, we, we've been sitting down here for, you know, the last 10 minutes. We, we've not been down there. He's like, oh, it doesn't matter anyway. I'm up now. i will go use the bathroom. He gets up and goes to the bathroom. He comes back, and he goes in his tent, and uh, we can hear him and his wife kind of kind of get into an argument. They're like, "What's going on?" You know, they get up, go use the bathroom. They bother her when he, you know, he wake her up or whatever. So just a couple minutes goes by, and he comes out. And he says, "Which one of you all were in my tent?" And I'm like, "What? What are you talking about?" He's like, "One of you all were in inside of my tent just now. Which one of you was it?" Charlie, we we not moved from this campfire. He's like number one, you know. Your wife's in there asleep, and you know that we're just not going to do that. I'm like number two, we've been sitting here this whole time. Nobody was in your tent. He's like, all right. So he said, I got up, used the bathroom. He said, my wife says she remembers me going. She rolls over and looks at my cot where I was sleeping, and she sees me laying in my cot, covered up with a blanket. She can see the black hair on the back of my head, and she said. It was kind of cold in the tent, so she put an extra blanket on. And she says, but then, about two minutes after that, I come walking through the tent, and there's nobody laying in my bed. And he said, so I need to know which one of you all has been in there messing with my wife trying to scare her. And we were like, dude, no, nobody's been in there. We've, we've sat right here this whole time. So... A couple of minutes later, Charlie and his wife, they end up walking out and they go and sleep in their vehicle the rest of the night. And she's very, like, very visibly shaken. She's crying. And, I mean, we just felt terrible. You know, number one, like, does he believe us that we've stayed here? Number two, she's seen something that's, you know, absolutely just terrified her. And so 
the next morning rolls around, we're all sitting around talking and, and Charlie and his wife come back and, and they kind of tell us more in detail about what happened. And, and everybody in that campsite had some form of, of an experience that night. And mine was to hearing people mumbling and, and then hearing what Charlie had had happen. So we had a, a, a Civil War church service just a couple of hours after Charlie and his wife came back into camp that morning. And everybody at that church service was talking about the night before and how dark things felt, how heavy the presence was. And that morning at that church service, there were 28 people who were saved and baptized in a horse pond at this battlefield. And every one of them, when they got up, they said, something hit us last night. We felt so heavy and so dark that we felt like that there was just nothing left for us. We felt like we were at the end, and we knew that if we didn't get saved, that some, something bad was going to happen to us. And, I mean, that that in itself was just, just wild. I mean, to go from that dark, heavy presence to having those experiences to having 28 people saved and baptized because of that presence that they experienced the night before. Man, that's just, that was just an odd time. It sounds like it, man. It sounds like it. Uh, th- this all happened with the, the, the battlefield. Yeah. Yeah. This, this all happened on the original battlefield and we had done some research prior to, you know, going to this and there had been nine soldiers killed at this particular battlefield. And, some of them had been buried actually on site, while a couple of others uh, of the other bodies had been taken back to where they were from and buried. But there were still soldiers buried on this battlefield site. Were there graves known as far as the location goes? No, no. It and that's that's the other thing that made all of us a little bit creeped out was because the graves locations were not known they just had a marker just set up at, at the entrance to the battlefield that said this is dedicated to the nine men who who lost their lives you know at this battlefield uh you know such and so graves are unknown while and it had the names of the other soldiers who had been reinterred at family cemeteries but there were still some somewhere on that property buried that nobody knows where they were buried Wow. Well, if you want to talk about unsettled spirits, I mean, <laughs> uh, that that would be something that I would imagine is going on there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was just, it was such an odd presence. And I mean, I remember sitting there thinking, this, something's just not right. It it doesn't feel right. You know, it, you could just feel that dark, heavy presence. Yeah, I can understand that. I can understand that. Uh, I, I I've never been really at a civil war battlefield in my adult life. I mean, I've been to Gettysburg as a kid, but ever since I've been doing this stuff, I've never been to like any kind of area, but it just, it just seems like these areas are probably pretty, pretty heavy, you know, when you get into them and stuff. In fact, you know, I, I should, I should take that back actually, because I did do the, the, uh, uh, what do you call it? The, the world war two prisoner of war camp. And, uh, yeah. you know, when I was there, uh, I, I would say that I, I felt I felt a deep sense of history, you know, uh, yeah. knowing that, that this stuff, 
that what what happened at this location you know uh nazis killing nazis and uh being interrogated and the fact that this was one of the few camps of the at least 50 camps we had in the country which we did have more than 50 camps but every state i know had at least one camp in it um yeah this camp was one of those one of the few camps where they were they were brought there right off the boat to be interrogated before they got dispersed and the the things that yeah. happened at this location so i i had a sense of history which kind of felt like wow th- there was some crazy stuff that happened here but i don't know if it, if i could say it, it felt ominous or anything like that yeah yeah it was it was definitely odd and uh, my father-in-law he he's actually he's a, a very well-versed historian and uh, and he kind of he kind of believes like I do that you know there there are certain things out there more than us you know there there are spiritual things and I remember him saying at the time he said it's almost like that us doing that battle has awakened something he said it's, it's almost like it's called those spirits back to life he said I I don't understand what it is he said but it there is obviously something going on and I had never thought of it that way. He said, you know, if it's just the, you know, the, the cannon smoke or the horses or, you know, the people, he said, I, I just, I don't know what it is, but something has awakened a spirit. And that's definitely what it felt like that night for sure. Yeah. It's interesting. And it makes sense. That makes sense to me. It does make sense. So, uh, very interesting. And have you ever been back there since? Uh, I had not been back to that battlefield since they had uh, they had changed the location due to some unknown reason, and uh, we had never been back since. Well, uh, maybe one day you'll go back. I don't know. I mean, is that something you you do? Uh, yeah, potentially. I, I think that that might be something that I would be interested in at some point in time. Uh, just just to see, you know, just to try to get a because I mean there. Are, there's obviously something there, you know? Yeah. Well, let's talk about the, uh, the falling asleep behind the wheel story, because that, that seems, uh, to be the next thing that happened in your life that is of significance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, this one is more of a, you know, you, you hear people talking of, you know, I've got a guardian angel looking over me type thing. Um, this was, uh, Right, right after I graduated high school, I had gotten a job working at a coal mine, and uh, I was driving an hour and a half one way to work and back. Uh, and so I, I found out that there was a guy that I worked with. Him and I lived in we lived in the same town, and so he would drive one week and I'd ride with him, and then I would drive one week and he would ride with me. And so we traveled this, this old crooked curvy road every day going to work back, back in the hills to this coal mine. And an hour and a half of driving, we would leave for work at four o'clock in the morning. And so an hour and a half of driving that early in the morning, you know, it's just, just drowsy. And, and, uh, this particular time it, it was winter time. And so we were running the heat, trying to stay warm, but get sleepy at the same time, you know, and, uh, we were driving to work this morning and uh, the, the guy riding with me he had fell asleep and I was coming around this curve and I could feel myself getting drowsy and, and I was thinking how can I stay awake without waking my friends up over here 
and I was trying to, you know, do different things, keep my eyes open the best way I could, and I drifted off to sleep. And about the time that I realized I drifted off to sleep, I opened my eyes and I looked up in the to the highway, and I looked at the highway. There was this like a, a mist form of a person standing in the middle of the road. And when I seen it, I didn't have enough time to stop. I just, I run through whatever this mist was. It, it wasn't solid, but it, it was, I mean, basically in, in the shape of a person. I mean, it was around five or six foot tall and, you know, maybe a couple feet across. And it wasn't foggy out this morning. This this was a cold, really cold winter morning. There wasn't any fog. And whatever it was, I ran straight through it. And, man, it woke me up. I mean, just, I was, my eyes were just glued open. I, there was no going back to sleep. And so I, I drove on into work, parked up and got out. My friend, he got out of the car my friend tells me, he said, man, I thought you were going to hit that car back there. I said, what car? He said, car that slipped up on its side back there and all those people were standing around. Man, there, there wasn't any car in the road. He's like, man, I'm telling you, there was a car flipped up on its side and I don't know how you didn't hit those people. So I started telling him what happened to me about looking up. And on the way home from work that evening, we come around the curve, and he's like, right here is where I saw that car flipped up on its side. And I said, right here is also where I saw something standing in the middle of the road that woke me up. And me and him just kind of looked at each other, and he's like, you know, I think sometimes good Lord does things to just look out for you. And he said, I think that's probably what happened. And he said, I don't know what I saw, but he said, I think it was just maybe a premonition that something that happened here before and whatever you saw was your sign of making sure that it didn't happen again and we just drove on home and i thought after that i told my fiance my wife now i told her at the time i said uh you know i really think that you know i, I had the good lord watching over me that morning i said because if not i very well could have flipped my car and we both would have been killed more than likely and so that's very interesting. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I mean, so you didn't see any car or people. You just saw this mist. I just, yeah, I, all I saw was just this mist just kind of standing in the middle of the road. I mean, if it had been more solid, it, it would have looked, it would have resembled a person completely if it had been more solid. But that's all I saw. I, I never saw a car. There, there wasn't a car, to the best of my knowledge, that or any people standing around it. No. So, I mean, with what you just said, you're, you're assuming he was seeing things that weren't there. Yeah. From what he told me, that's, that's kind of what I thought was, I thought, man, you're, you're seeing something completely different than what I saw. I I didn't see that. And, uh, I'm I'm not sure. I, I really don't know what to make of that. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> it's interesting though. It's interesting. I'm trying. I'm sitting here thinking. I mean, so you you doze off. You open up your eyes. You see this thing in the road. You drive right through it. Um, 
what what makes you feel so sure that he's the one that was seeing things and not you? Well, you know, I really don't know. I mean, that's that's a good question uh, because I mean, I was obviously pretty drowsy, and like I said, you know, whichever one drove, the other one usually slept, and we would kind of wake up in it, you know, whichever one's asleep, and we were going through a certain part of town, we'd kind of, hey, you want to stop here, you know, get something to eat or whatever. Now, you know, they'd go back to sleep. If it was me, I'd go back to sleep or whatever. So I, I'm not really sure. I mean, I, I I may have been the one seeing things, and or he may have been the one seeing things. I, I'm not really sure. But one thing's for but sure. He, you both were seeing things, but one of you weren't seeing <laughs> things at all. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I know for certain that I didn't see what he was looking at. He says he didn't see what I was looking at, but we we both saw something that I think kind of kind of woke both of us up and gave both of us the creeps. Oh yeah, yeah, that would definitely give me the creeps too. Uh, yeah. So, what is this uh, this story about the warehouse? I'm assuming th- this was a, a haunted warehouse that you live you worked in. Yeah, yeah. This. Uh, this thing right here, man, it, I was talking to my brother about it earlier and I was telling him, I was like, this wasn't just a paranormal experience. This was a paranormal kind of lifestyle almost for the amount of time that I worked here. Um, I had gotten a job working in a parts warehouse for Caterpillar equipment. And so we had things, you know, turbos and, uh, track segments and, you know, blades for dozers and, uh, you know, all kinds of different things for Caterpillar machinery. And I had gotten this job, and I started working third shift. So I was working 8 o'clock at night till 5.30 in the morning. And when second shift would leave at 11, I was by myself for the rest of the night. And until uh, we had a parts trip that he came in at 5, but I would lock up all the doors, and the only way the parts truck driver could get in he had to ring a buzzer and i would go around let him in you know fill out the paperwork and start unloading his truck and so i started working here and uh, i was young i was 21 and started working and the uh, first couple weeks everything was just normal you know i i would hear noises and pops and cracks but i thought you know i'm in a warehouse and you know, as as the night goes on, I'm going to hear the building settle and whatever. So I didn't think anything about it. Uh, a couple of weeks goes by, everything's normal. I start hearing noises at night after second shift would leave that were noises that I really, I really couldn't explain. Uh, they weren't like normal building settling. Sounds. You know, they weren't pops and cracks. They were more like, uh, sounded like things were being kind of rattled around on shelves. Uh, it sounded like, you know, boxes were being shifted around. And I thought, uh, I just imagine that if that's, you know, that, no, that's, that's not what I'm hearing. And so I started telling my wife, I was like, I don't know what's going on at this warehouse. I was like, I'm hearing noises that aren't. They're, they're not normal. I was like, you know, am I just, am I just too tired from working nights? And she said, I don't know. You know, I wouldn't, wouldn't play into it. So, uh, 
I'm, I don't know, a couple months into working in this warehouse, and, and I keep hearing these noises that just sounds like somebody's in there with me. And so one night, I know for certain nobody else is in there with me. This is 2 o'clock in the morning, probably. I go in to use the bathroom. And as I'm standing there, right outside of the bathroom door, I hear this very distinct whistle. And I'll never forget it. It's just, but it was a whistle. And I thought, who in the crap is in this warehouse besides me? I've locked every single door. There's nobody in here. So I, I come out of the bathroom, finish washing my hands, come out of the bathroom. Well, by the time I come out of the bathroom door in this warehouse, we had these really long parts counters that had metal tops on them. Um, the, a lot of the parts that we we handled were so heavy that these counters had to have metal tops on them or it would damage the wood, gouge the wood, whatever. Well, about the time I come out of the bathroom, I hear what sounds like somebody slamming down all of these heavy metal parts, like you know, if you had like an armload of stuff and you were trying to get it up on a on a, like a table or something, you finally get it up on the table and you just kind of let loose and all of it just kind of bundles out and falls. Yeah, that, that's what this sounded like. But it sounded like somebody just dropped an armload of stuff on top of this metal counter. So I was like, "All right, somebody's in here. What what's what's going on?" So I come from running up to the parts counter. There's nothing there. It's an empty parts counter. And I'm like, oh, all right, this is kind of getting out of hand. I'm like, there's there's obviously something in here, or I'm just hallucinating one. I'm really tired of one. You know, there's all kinds of variables. So I go in, back to, into the bathroom. I go in my locker, and I grab a set of earbuds. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to listen to these noises. I've got to tune my mind off of this. It, it's getting the better of me. So I put in a set of earbuds go and jump on a forklift and I've still got some parts in the back that I had to put up from, from the truck that had come in the night before. So I go flying down an aisle on a forklift and I, I'm scooping up boxes and putting them up on shelves with the forklift. And I come around the corner and when I come around this corner, man, I see a guy standing at the end of a parts rack in dark pants and a dark shirt. And I I look for a split second, and he's there, and all of a sudden he's gone. I slam on the brakes, and I, I i got chills thinking about now. And I slammed on the brakes, and I was like, holy crap, what did I just see? I'm like, no, no, John, you're, you're, you're just, no, you're just hallucinating, man. You, you didn't see that. So I lay the fuel to it on this old forklift, man. I take off. Go down another aisle, pick up a box, and I'm thinking, huh? Yeah, I didn't see that. I didn't see that. There's no way I saw that. I come back down this aisle, turn the corner, and there this guy stands again. I, I'm saying the guy. It was a figure. There he stands again. Dark pants, dark shirt, standing at the end of this parts rack. And I just, all right, I'm done. I'm done for the night. And I go in and I sit in the break room. And I, I sit in that break room until I heard the buzzer of the night of the night truck driver coming in to drop parts. I go out there and I let him in, unload that truck and I clock out and go home. I told my wife I got home, I was like, There's I know I've been telling you I've been hearing noises. I was like, Listen, 
there is something in that warehouse. I, she said, no, I, I think you're just hearing stuff. I said, I've seen stuff. I said, tonight I saw a figure twice. And I said, there's something in there. So the next night I get ready, you know, come into work, kind of dreading it. Just like, man, I, I, I'm hoping that whatever happened last night, that was, you know, that was it. That's not going to happen again. Come into work, second shift leaves. Sure enough, I start hearing these noises. And it sounds like, you know, uh, you know, like the shipping crates that, that uh, it's a pallet on the bottom and it's got a big cardboard box on top. Yeah. Like, like the, the Gaylords? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it sounds like that in the back of this warehouse that somebody's picking one of these boxes up on the end and it's sliding it across the warehouse. And, like, it's a very distinct, like, wood on concrete floor sound. And I was like, what is going on? Somebody, that, there's no way somebody's in here. So, jump on the forklift, take off, going back through there. Nobody back there. Come back out, turn the corner. There this figure stands at the end of this parts rack. And, I mean, I jump out of my skin. Just lay the fuel to it, take off. And I go up front. And I'm sitting, and I'm like, you know, I got a job to do. I, I can't, I can't come in here and sit and be terrified. I've, I've got, I got to go back out and work. So I go back out, and jump on the forklift, take off, and see the figure again. And at this point in time, I stop and I'm like, look, you know, here I am. I'm just trying to work. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know who I'm bothering. I don't know why I'm bothering you. I'm just trying to do my job. And I've got a job to do. I have to be in here. I'm not trying to mess with anything. I'm just trying to do my job so I can go home. You know, I can get paid and go home. I done that. Didn't see anything else the rest of that night. And I was like, all right, so maybe I've, you know, maybe I've leveled with whatever this is. That hey, I'm just, I'm just here to do a job. I'm not here to cause any problems. So a couple weeks goes by after that, and things kind of settle down just a little bit and I'm still hearing the noises though you know I'm like somebody's in these parts bins looking for stuff so I, I had gotten to the point that I told my wife I was like you know I've got a co-worker that really doesn't work there like in a physical sense <laughs> I was like he, he, he's just there but he doesn't he's not on a payroll <laughs> and uh, so my wife is like ah, I don't so she comes down one night to eat lunch with me, and we're sitting in the parts warehouse, and she's brought me lunch, and this is around midnight, one o'clock, and she's like, well, you know, this has been a pretty peaceful lunch. I haven't heard anything from your coworker. About that time, in the back, I hear this same dragon noise, like, like a pallet dragon across the floor. She said, what is that? And I said, that's what I've been telling you that I'm hearing. She's like, oh my gosh, are you serious? I said, yes. I was like, that's not, I was like, that's just, that's not a building popping and cracking, right? She's like, no, that's something being dragged. And so she's like, I, I'm going home. She's like, I, that's just too much. I, I, she's like, I, I can't, I can't deal with that. Like, I'm going home. And I was like, that's not, I was like, I'm just, kind of glad at this point that somebody else doesn't think I'm nuts, you know, like my wife has heard it too. And uh, so, you know, I worked the rest of that night and everything was fine. Well, 
we get to telling my wife's sister. And my wife's sister is like, nah, there's, there's no such thing as ghosts. And, you know, I'm going to come down there one night. And I was like, come on. So my wife and her sister, they come and eat lunch with me another night. And we're sitting there and everything's quiet. Uh, my sister-in-law says, hmm, hadn't heard anything going on. I don't think there's anything going on in here. I, I think you're just over-imagining things. Well, about that time, from the top shelf, a big old box of filters comes flying off of that top shelf and hits the floor. I had put those filters up there probably 30 minutes prior to them being there, and I had all hand stacked them in myself. So there should I know I know there was no reason for them to come falling back out because they were so high up. I took extra care to make sure that they wouldn't fall out. If they, you know, they would fall out, they'd hurt somebody. And uh, they come toppling off of this top shelf. And my sister-in-law goes, okay, okay, got it, uh-huh, got it. And I said, I'm telling you, there's something here, and it's, it's not to be messed with. I was like, I, I, I'm being very respectful. I've told whatever it is that I'm just here to work. I'm not here to cause any problems. I'm just working. And I was like, you can't come in here and say stuff like, I don't believe this. I don't believe in that. And I said, because obviously something is here. And I said, whatever you just said right there provoked what just happened. And so my wife was like, all right, we, we're going to leave. You know, you know, my sister-in-law was pretty upset at this point in time. She's like, yeah, I, we've got to get out of here. I'm sorry. And uh, so that, you know, stuff like that kept happening. Well, a couple of weeks goes, goes by and I'm kind of wondering, you know, like, do I need to tell people in here about this? Do I need to tell people that I'm seeing stuff, that I'm hearing stuff? So one night comes up that I I have to call in sick, not able to make it in. And so they they get another guy to cover for me. And so I I take that night off. I come in the next day, and the boss calls me in the office, and he's like, you know, we... we had a problem last night, and I said, what's going on? He said, we had to call the police down here. And he said, have you ever had anybody get in this warehouse at night? And I said, no. No, I've never had any, never had any problems with people getting in here. Just, you know, the, tr- the night truck driver comes in, I let him in, but that's it. And he said, we had to call the police down here last night. He said, we, we got a guy to cover for you. The guy's name was Mike. He said, we got Mike to cover for you. And he said he was up front after second shift had left, and he was working on the parts counter shipping parts. And he said he looked up, and in that warehouse, there was a door that, that led into a stairwell. And the stairwell goes upstairs to where there's a bunch of classrooms, like training classrooms in the warehouse. He said Mike looks up from this parts counter, and he sees a guy standing at the door to the stairwell. And he says, hey, you know, you can't be in here. It's after hours. And he said, this guy goes to the door to the stairwell, like opens the door, like the door opens, because he said he heard the door close. And he said he goes to the door to the stairwell, so Mike takes off following him. He said, I go through this door to the stairwell, just in enough time that I see this guy going through the upstairs door. So he said, I run upstairs 
and I'm hollering the whole time, hey, you can't be in here. You know, after hours, we there's nobody working. You can't be in here. He said, I get up to the top of the stairs, and at the top of the stairs, it goes down this long hallway where all the classrooms are. He said, I get to the top of the stairs. I look down this long hallway. It's dark. The lights are turned off. Nobody, obviously, nobody's in the building. He said, about that time, I hear a door at the end of the hallway, one of the last classrooms. I hear this door slam. Ow. And he said, I thought, all right. You know, obviously, somebody's got in here. Some, somebody's broke in here. They're, they're trying. They're looking for something. They're trying to do something. He's like, I'm, I'm done with fooling with whoever it is. So he calls the boss, and he's like, look, somebody's broke in. You know, I've had all the doors locked all night long, but there's somebody in here. He's like, I just chased them up the stairs. He's like, they're, they're upstairs in, in one of the training classrooms. He said, I heard them slam the door, and I've got them cornered. He's like, you're going to have to come down here and figure out what's going on. He's like, I've got them cornered. They can't get out. So about 10 minutes goes by, and my boss said, you know, I, I showed up. He said, I called the police, and he said, we couldn't get in the building. All the doors were locked. And he said, so I, I let the police in. We go into the stairwell, go up the stairs, and he said, I see Mike standing at the top of the stairs. You know, he's all, all puffed up, you know, like like he's all defensive. He's, you know, somebody's going to come out, he's going to have to tackle him or something, you know. And he said, he's all puffed up. He's like, they're in that room right there. He's like, I guarantee you, he said, they're in that room because he said, they slammed that door as I come up here. He said, all the other doors are open. They slammed that door. They're in there. So police go down through there, shining their flashlights, open up the door to the classroom. Classroom's empty. Nobody in there. And so Mike is like, I know he was in there. Like, I followed him up these stairs. And I was like, are you serious? Like, like this really happened for real? And my boss said, yeah, absolutely. He's like, we've got the police report. You can read it. So I read through the police report, and it confirmed everything that my boss had told me. So I go out into the warehouse. I see Mike standing there. And I was like, man, thanks for covering for me. And he said, yeah, don't ever ask me to do that again. And I said, okay, I'm sorry. You know, I just, I was sick. And I said, just out of curiosity, I said, this guy that you saw, I said, what what did he look like? He said, dude, dark pants and a dark shirt. And he said, I could just barely make out the back of his head. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? And he's like, no. He's like, it, it, it looked like somebody that worked here almost. The uniforms that we had to wear to work in that warehouse were dark blue pants and a dark work shirt. And so he said, you know, I thought somebody might have broken in or at the very weirdest, somebody just forgot something at work and decided to show up at two o'clock in the morning to get it. And he said, don't, don't ever ask me to cover for you again. He said, I don't know what I saw, but he said, all I know is I've got a couple of police officers and a boss who thinks that I'm losing my mind. And I said, well, I can assure you, you're not losing your mind. I said, I'm, you you saw what you saw, I said, because I've been seeing the same thing in this warehouse for the last couple of months. And uh, so, you know, after that, I worked a couple of more weeks, and I had put in for a job to transfer out of the horse warehouse into a mechanic shop, and I got that job, and I transferred out. And 
uh, I never had any more any more paranormal experiences, any more run-ins or anything of that sort uh, after that point, after I transferred out. And I, I don't know what it was. I don't know who it was. And, you know, I, I had often wondered the, the company I was working for, there are a lot of older guys who work there. And since I've left that company, even there have been a lot of older guys who have passed away. And, and I talked to my wife, and I said, you know, I just kind of wonder if maybe there hadn't been somebody who had worked there that had passed away that just couldn't get any rest in the afterlife. And, and that was what they had to do was to come back every night to make sure things were done right. And I said, because whatever happened to me wasn't really malicious. And I said, especially after I had just said, look, hey, I, I'm just here to work. I'm trying to do the best I can. I said, you know, after I've done that, things were kind of like, okay, I'm going to pop up from time to time, but I'm not going to bother you. And, you know, you do your job. And I, like I said, you know, my coworker who wasn't really on the payroll, like, I'm going to be here doing my thing and you do yours and I won't bother you. And, uh, so that, that was the kind, kind of the end of, you know, that, that was really my last paranormal experience. I've not really ever had anything after that happened to me. Yeah. And that, that's the thing I was going to actually ask you is if you thought that this was something that, you know, maybe was somebody that lived or not lived there while well, they live there now, but worked there in the past. Uh, and that seems, yeah. that seems to be what you're thinking, huh? Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of really, I really suspected that because there were just th this parts warehouse that I worked in. There were so many older guys who were just, well, I'm going to retire here. You know, this, this is where I'm going to retire from and, I'll either retire here or they're going to find me dead on a forklift from pulling parts too much, you know? And, and uh, I just really, I really wonder if, if it hadn't been someone who had worked there in the past that had passed away and, you know, just that was where they decided to come back to for whatever reason. I, I don't know, but that, that's kind of where my mind had went to was because I thought, you know, here I am just trying to work. Why are you, why are you dragging stuff around? You know, why are you back here shuffling parts around, you know, to just to mess with me? Like, what, what's the purpose behind that? And, and that's what got me thinking it might've been somebody who worked there, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it definitely makes sense. Uh, but one thing's for sure. I mean, these, th this thing was looking so, I mean, obviously you hear things, you, you, things are moving and stuff, but it looked so real that he called the police. I mean, like for you, you're experiencing things and, and you're already thinking paranormal, but this guy, I mean, he, he thought he is, he actually had somebody on the property cornered in a room. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that I, I got home from work that eight or I guess that morning and I told my wife, I was like, you are never going to believe what happened the night that I was home. I was like, I'm telling you, you know, I've been seeing stuff. I said, you know, Mike who covered for me, he legitimately thought that somebody was in the building with him to the point that he called the police on him. And I said, you know, like, like how, how freaking weird is that, that somebody else so much believed that it was a real person that they had the police called to come in there. That, yeah. That, that right there, man, that's what got me. Cause I was like, yeah, there's definitely something there. Yeah, definitely. Well, at, at least, uh, at least you're not there anymore. Uh, you got out of there strategically, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a a move for various reasons, and uh, 
uh, not being heckled by a, a coworker that wasn't there was kind of one of them. But uh, yeah. I moved for I moved for uh, you know just a different different position and a little bit better pay, and it just kind of all flowed together that way. Man, yeah, I guess uh, I guess uh, they were they were they were counting the ghost as part of your pay. <laughs> <laughs> That, yeah, that was the uh, extra shift differential there. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man. Uh, John, well, I appreciate you sharing these stories, brother. Yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate you having me on. And, uh, like I said, you know, we, uh, me and my brother both listen to you. And, you know, I, I've had these these things in my mind for quite a while that have happened. And I've just always kind of been like, I don't, I don't know about sharing them because I, you know, just, they sound like they're just so off. And a uh, matter of fact, even uh, some of the guys I work with, you know, they're like, what are you doing this Friday evening? And I was like, uh, uh, you know, going home. And like, I was almost embarrassed to tell them, you know, <laughs> uh, I was going to be talking about my ghost stories, you know, but I mean, these are, these are things that happened to me that just like, I have no denying that something else is, is out there. And uh, I appreciate you giving me a platform to be able to share and uh, talk about the experiences that I've had. And uh, I, I really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely, man. And you know what? I'm not going to blame you for shorting me on future listeners by not telling people what you're doing tonight. I'm not going to blame you. I'm going to let that one slide. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, man. Where's your evangelistic spirit for the confessionals? <laughs> I mean, oh, share oh, the gospel. Oh, share the confessional gospel. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, well, listen, uh, I appreciate you talking and uh, sharing your stories, brother. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's been a blast to be on, and uh, like I said, we just we listen to you all the time. And uh, we were we were raised to to believe that there were there were more things out there than just just what we could see. And uh, growing up and having those experiences, and you know, it just it really brings a whole lot to to light, you know, about about what actually is out there so Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, please share the show with your friends. I don't care where or how you share the show. Just share the show if you enjoyed it, because that's the best thing you can do to help the show grow. Share the show with your friends. I don't care where. Just do it. Also, let you guys know, before I started recording these intros and outros and all that stuff on Monday night, I was just a guest on the Union of the Unwanted, where we talked about... UFOs. It was a great guest panel, and I think you guys might enjoy this conversation. So if you want to check it out, the link is in the description of this episode. Go ahead and check that out if you so choose. And until next week, stay safe, take care, and remember, the truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. Bye.